Good morning, everybody. My name is Roy. I get to have the privilege of giving you guys a few short announcements. Pastor told me to keep it short. Um, if you're here for the first time visiting us this morning, we just want to make you feel welcome. Um, you're, you can take a deep breath and feel at ease. Nothing weird is going to happen here this morning. Right, Pastor? <laughs> We're saving weird for next Sunday, okay? So um, we just want to let you know that you're amongst a group of people who God has revealed the truth to. It says in, in the book of Romans that um, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And by the grace of God, he's opened up our eyes to the truth of that. And from that, he's growing each one of us, and we are head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for, if you couldn't tell by the worship. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Worship is a tough act to follow with this announcement stuff. So, um, We have three announcements. The first one is that we have been um, going through on Wednesday nights and doing intercessory prayer for our church. For, actually, for ourselves, for our church, and for our country, for our families, and it has been a beautiful time. How many of you guys have been here on a Wednesday night recently and been part of that? A lot of hands, a lot of hands. So if, um, if you're free on Wednesday nights, I'm telling you, it's a huge blessing to be here and get to pray with one another and share one another's burdens like the Lord calls us to. And with the, the things that are going on in our country right now, you know, it's, he's brought, the Lord has brought a lot of us to our knees to really get our attention. So we look forward to what he's going to continue to do for us on Wednesday nights. It's been, like I said, a huge blessing. And our next announcement is, it has to do with this. You guys can see this from out there. It's our women's ministry Bible study. It's on the first and third Saturdays of the month, which means it's coming up this, this coming Saturday. And they are going through a book called Experiencing Jesus. And uh, I know the ladies are really blessed by it. There's a, a $15 um, registration fee if you haven't registered already. But if that $15 is a problem for you, we want you to get we want you to get the blessing of being part of it. So um, we can work with you on that. So look forward to I don't look forward to seeing you ladies because I won't be there. But the ladies look forward to if you if you need more information, see Teresa or Marilyn or Sherry. Um, Okay, and then oh, technology. Lost my phone. Oh, last one. Last but not least, we had some backpacks up here. They seem to have disappeared. We are doing our annual fall outreach for um, Maryland Bond School. It's the name of the school. It's a public school. And as Pastor shared with us last week, it's a Title I school which means that a large portion of the, of the population of that school is under the poverty level. So every year, we've been putting together backpacks for um, Tomahawk Elementary School. So we call it Backpacks for Tomahawk. And we, we just, it's been huge blessing to hear the stories that Marilyn brings back. And Marilyn's not here this morning, but uh, she, she is an unbelievable warrior for God and she, is not afraid to share her faith at work. She doesn't care if it's a public school or not. And she, in this COVID thing, she's been going around and knocking on doors and making sure kids are getting on their computers and making sure they have a computer. And, and she, there's just a huge ministry there to the kids and to the parents. 
So if that's something that the Lord puts on your heart to either donate to that or bring a backpack in, please, please do so. Okay? All right. Well, I think that's all for our announcements. Let's pray. Write Paul up. Oh. Paul. 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 Yeah. Sorry. That wasn't in my announcements. They go change the notes. Don't you hate that? Good morning. Uh, today we'll be reading uh, from Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 7. If you'll all please stand in honor of God's word. As you find it when you stand, I'll make sure everyone's there. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression by sin, I'm sorry, and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is God's word. Father, you are the eternal God. You never had a beginning, and you will never have an end. You are. We are your creation, and we are your joy, because we are found in your Son, Jesus Christ. He bought us with the price of his precious blood and thank you for revealing that to us we realize that flesh and blood does not open our eyes to the truth and the reality of you only you can do that and you have revealed yourself through your son and it's him that we come this morning and it is you and the Holy Spirit to worship to adore and to learn from. So we ask you to open the eyes of our understanding. Give us ears that hear what your spirit has to say. 
And may we walk out of here with our faith just encouraged and edified and built up stronger than it was when we came in. We love you and we give you the glory and praise and it's in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I want to give a shout out. I'm looking at our little camera to a little town called where are you? Um, say it, Nita. San Fabian Pangasinan. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Lord bless you this morning, and, and we pray that um, that you receive from the Lord, and that prayer was for you also. So thank you for watching it and anybody else who is watching. Um, we have been going through a revival here at Arrowhead and the center of that revival has been our prayer meetings on Wednesday night. And since we began that, we have seen um, four souls come to Christ um, and we've baptized those four souls. Uh, we've seen one lady who was uh, delivered of demons. Um, and those are the kind of things I guess you would expect to see when God begins to move in a congregation. But more than that, we, we see a continued and an, an amplification of the love that is supposed to flow between Christians. The patience, the kindness, and the goodness and those kind of things. And uh, I'm very thankful to the Lord for what he's doing. It's pretty cool. And I hope to see a whole lot of more before it's all over. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Roy. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, open to Exodus chapter 34. You should be there already. This morning we're going to be talking about the quintessence of God. Isn't that a cool word, quintessence? Quintessence. Uh, it flows. It's a beautiful word. Um, quintessence is the essence of a thing in its purest and most concentrated form. Now, where the word comes from will help you understand uh, Back in the day, wherever that day was, uh, before my time even, believe it or not, if you could believe that there is such a thing. When people believed that the earth was made up of four elements, earth, wind, and fire, and a horn section. No, okay. Earth, air, fire, and water. And they thought the stars and the planets were made up of another element and that was called the fifth element or quin quint quin means five in latin right and it was called the quinta essentia literally the fifth essence now they believed that the quinta essentia was essential to all kinds of matter and if you could somehow isolate it it would cure all disease that's what they thought but we've kind of given up on that idea, all right? But we kept the word quintessence, quintessentia, 
quintessence, as the purest essence of a thing. Now, to break it down in our culture, um, we say that so-and-so might be the quintessential, the quintessential, yes, basketball player or football player. Um, looking at Disney animated movies, how many of you have seen a Disney animated movie? Yeah, good. They say that Beauty and the Beast is the pitch-perfect blend of epic romance, adventure, comedy, and infectious music. The quintessential. <laughs> Yeah, quintessence. <laughs> Disney fairy tale. The purest essence of a fairy tale. Let's just say, I don't have to say that word again. This morning what we're going to look at though is the purest essence of God. Okay? The quintessence of God. So if you can forget the mispronunciations and just focus on that beautiful word for a moment, I think you're going to appreciate it. This is his character. This is what he is all about, first and foremost. I, say, I won't say all about, They're, God's infinite and you can't really discover what he's all about. It, not even throughout all eternity will we figure out all that God is. But for our purposes, for our life here on this earth, right here and right now, this is what he wants us to know about him first and most his quintessence that's what we're going to discover um, the background here is the people had just been out of Egypt for about three months and they started slipping back into the old ways idol worship they were told deliberately or specifically to not um, worship any other gods besides Jehovah Yahweh him and him alone and as soon as Moses was out of their sight, they made a calf and began worshiping the calf and dancing around it. And God said uh, when he saw this that, um, Moses, I don't think this is right. You better get down there or I'm going to destroy them. Right? Well, actually he said, move aside. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses said, don't do that. It's not going to reflect well on you with the other nations. And by the way, you might want to remember the promises that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And God says, fine. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. I won't destroy them, but you know what? I'm not going to go with you guys to the promised land. I'll get you there. I'll send you with my angel. But if I go, then my holiness is going to break out and destroy y'all. And Moses said, but you promised that you would go with we don't want any angel, you know, no offense, but we want you and nothing more or nothing less. And God said, all right, you drive a hard bargain, Moses, and uh, I will go with you. Is there anything else that you want? Now, I would say, no, no, that's good. But Moses, cheeky guy that he was, says, show me your glory. Could you please show me your glory? And we studied that. And what he was saying was, I want to know you. I want to know you personally. I mean, this is fantastic. Serving you, seeing the miracles, 
being involved in ministry. This is awesome, but it's not enough. The miracles are never enough. I want you. And now that's about to happen. So let's look out at verse 1 and see God giving out his instructions before the event. The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And that's why he's cutting out two new tablets of stone. God did it the first time. Now, Moses, you're going to need to do it. You're going to have to cut out these stones. I don't know how big those things were. I doubt if they were as big as artists display them. I was wondering how in the world he's going to pick, carry those two massive things of stone. Of course, Moses was a pretty hardy guy, right? 80 years old, and he was still kicking it really good. So uh, they were probably a little bit smaller than that, but nevertheless, Moses, you got to cut out these tablets again. And God says, now you're going to bring them up here, and I'm going to write the words of the covenant once again. Now, some commentators tell us that Moses wrote those words, and some say that it was God that wrote the words. Um, either way, it was God writing the words, either through Moses or with his own finger. Again, it's all the word of God. But this is good news for Moses, and it's good news for us. Because you see, this indicates that God still wants a relationship with his people. He still wants to relate to them. He wants to keep them as his special treasure. That's what he called them before. Living by his law, worshiping him alone, honoring his holy day, respecting authority, practicing sexual purity, telling the truth, and keeping his holy commands. If they would be that kind of people, they would be radically different than all of the other people groups on the earth. Absolutely holy to him. And in turn, he promised that he would protect, provide, guide and be to them everything that they would absolutely need. Now I want you to understand if you're listening that there's a similarity here between the relationship of be, of Israel being reestablished with God and us being reestablished with our creator through Jesus Christ. When we transgress God's commands and I know that most of you don't is mostly just me I'm talking about up here, right? We can know that God too wants to reestablish our relationship with him. He wants that, okay? I mean, you probably want it, and you think that you may want it more than he does, but not so. He wants it even worse than you do. How do I know that? Because he sent his son to the cross. That was a high price to pay for us to be right with him. And because of the death on the cross and the blood that was shed and the forgiveness of sins, that's our covenant. It's a new covenant. And we are restored to fellowship with him. And that's because he wants it and we want it to. Now in verse 2, he says to Moses, be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. And present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. 
and no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain, let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. Okay, this is similar, if you've been tracking through Exodus with us, to the first time when God appeared on the mountain. He says, no, it's no trespassing. Don't come on this mountain other than you, Moses. Just you, you and you alone, but nobody else touch it or lest they die. It reminds me of that, that no trespassing sign that uh, said no trespassing violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Some may be shot. And it was signed, Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> All right. Um, there's, this is a big no trespassing sign. And it was for the, their own good because there's danger in approaching God unannounced and um, uninvited. But we have a full invitation to come to Christ now. So you don't need to fear that you're going to get struck dead once you come and you approach God. The way is opened to us through the torn body of Jesus Christ, through the blood. All right. So in verse 4 now, we see that Moses hastens to obey. God gives a command. Moses hastens to obey. Verse 4, he says, So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. We call this immediate obedience. Parents, you know that when you have busted your kids and they know they've been busted and they are remorseful, that the next thing you ask them to do, they seem to be very quick to get on it and do it, right? And you go, wow, man, why can't it be that way all the time? You know, they'll do it real quick the first time, but then, you know, life happens all over again. Whenever we know what God wants us to do, we should be doing it as soon as we can. Because, and here's the note for you note takers, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Scripturally, I can tell you that because the children of Israel came to the, the border of Kadesh Barnea. They're going to come to that here in a few chapters. And God's going to say, all right, guys, ready, set, go into the land. And they go, mm, let's send some people in there to scope it out first. And they sent in some spies, right? Remember the story? And they came back with a report saying there are giants in the land. Uh, and, of course, that's all they focused in on. They didn't focus in on the grapes that came back as big as bowling balls. They just thought of the giants, and they began to complain and whine. And they said, no, we're not going to do this. I can't do this. We're not going to put our kids in there, and they're going to get killed. That's delayed obedience. And what did God do? He said, fine, you're not going. And as soon as they found out that they're going to have to wander for 40 years in the desert, all of a sudden they said, oh, no, 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 we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. And what did God say? I don't think so. It ain't happening. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's right. My daughter is uh, assistant teaching in a class in a, at a school out in Gilbert. And I love the teacher that she is working with. They have a little guy. And he's a little guy that likes to stomp his feet. He's a little fifth grader. 
So he needed to go to the restroom. So he got up out of his desk and he walked to the door, but he didn't just walk to the door. He stomped to the door. So the whole class would know that, hey, no, um, little Anderson is going to the bathroom, right? Everybody just to let you know. So the teacher says, uh, no, don't, don't do that. Come back to your desk and try again. So he stomps all the way back to his desk. And then he starts to stomp and she goes, okay, never mind. Just sit down. You can't go. Now, when you say that to a kid who's really got to go, <laughs> somebody's going to have issues, all right, somewhere along the line. But she was firm. She says, no, you had your chance, but you chose not to obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's right. Now, we have just spent, um, and actually we're at the tail end of the 10 days of consecration. Right, we've been following the return. How many of you watched the the whole thing yesterday, or parts of the return that was going on in Washington D.C.? Right, Christians going before God to repent of their sins, repent of our sins, in in an effort to perhaps God will have mercy upon our nation and spare us what seems to be coming. And it was prayers of repentance. I was here and it was beautiful. We had a wonderful time. And many of us were on our knees and we were repenting. We're repenting of the sins. Now I want to ask you, and I don't want you to say it out loud and I don't even want necessarily to acknowledge it, but how many of you were convicted of sin during that time? Can you specifically name those sins that you were convicted about? Did you ask God for forgiveness of those sins? You probably did. But that doesn't mean you've repented. That simply means you've acknowledged. To repent means you've got to turn in the other direction. There has to be fruit of Repentance. That's what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees. They were coming to be baptized. And he said, where are your fruits of repentance? Don't just give me mere words. Let's see by your actions and your deeds that you have repented. It can be a sorrowful thing. You can come with tears in your eyes. And you can feel remorse and you feel that conviction. And, and like, like our brother said who was baptized last week, you know, conviction is not condemnation. He's absolutely right. But conviction isn't repentance either. It's conviction. It's telling you that something needs to be treated. Something needs to be dealt with. And if you choose not to do it or if you're going to play around in it for a while longer, and then are deciding to repent from it, that's delayed obedience, and it's disobedience, okay? And it's not something that God will bless. Repentance needs to happen when you are convicted, and there needs to be fruits of repentance. It's a very common thing in an abusive relationship for the abuser to just lose it and become violent and, and physically abusive. 
And then after the adrenaline has stopped pumping and they realize what they've done, they're sorrowful and they're in tears, aren't they? And they're remorseful and say, I am so sorry that I did that. I will never do that again. And you know, we know, it's just a matter of time. There are no fruits of repentance. There's nothing changing in their behavior. There's no help that has been gotten to help them get out of that mindset. And it's going to happen again. So there needs to be fruits of repentance. What has God convicted you of? Is there a moral issue that's going on in your life? Is there somebody that you need to go and forgive, but you're still refusing to do it? You haven't done it? Is there someone that you need to tell that you forgive them? That they've apologized and you've refused to apologize? Is there a calling that God has put upon your heart and he's told you, I want you to go do this to get involved in this, but you're still holding back and you're not doing it? You see, we're talking about changing a culture, right? We're talking about changing a world. It's not going to happen with lip service. You're going to have to step out in faith and let God radically transform your character. And that doesn't happen until you put yourself at risk and apologize if that's what the call is. Or to get involved in something if that's what the call is upon your heart. God is looking for repentance. He really is. Um, in Isaiah, just to give you um, an example, I can't remember the reference right at the moment. It just came to my head. In Isaiah, he tells the nation before they get hauled off into captivity into Babylon for 80 years, he tells them, this is what you need to do. You need to take care and defend the fatherless, the orphans. And you need to defend and take care of the widows. And you need to take care of and treat rightly the aliens that are among you, the strangers that are among you. Now, the first two categories, I bet I got some sympathy with. But that third category, you might be bucking it a little bit because of the current political climate that we are in. But it's there. It's in the Word of God. Leviticus 19. Read it for yourself. God will judge us on how we deal with the alien. I'm not telling you what it should look like, but I am telling you the heart that most people have in the conservative side of things tend to be rather harsh and judgmental. And here's my point. God has called us to repentance. And we're cool with that as long as it doesn't mess with our politics. But once it starts messing with our politics, then all of a sudden we find excuses not to repent. Once it starts messing with relationships like someone to go ask forgiveness for, all of a sudden we find reasons why I will never forgive that person as long as I live. All right. Am I done preaching now? Yeah, I think so. Let's look at verse 5, and we see God comes down. All right? 
The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is called a theophany. A theophany. It's a visible manifestation of the invisible God. Um, now, I don't think necessarily that he was in human form. I think that is a anthropomorphism. In other words, it's just attributing to God human qualities because I'm lacking the words to describe to you what it is. But the cloud was visible, and that is a manifestation of him. But I want you to notice that Moses went which direction? In verse 4, he went up the mountain, right? And which direction did God come from? Down from the mountain, right? He had to. No matter how high we reach, God still has to stoop. Uh, for us to have an encounter with God at all requires him to willingly lower himself to our level. Um, if you ever really want to have a good relationship with the toddler in the nursery, okay. By the way, gentlemen, all of you should be back there at least once in your lifetime, okay? You're going to have to get down on their level, okay? Because right now you're big and you're scary. You tower over them. Think about it from their perspective, okay? But if you'll get down on your knees, then all of a sudden you are a McDonald's play area, all right? And you can have a relationship with them. Uh, one commentator, uh, Jerry Riken, says, he is the creator. We are only creatures. He is enthroned in heaven. We dwell on earth below. He's God, and we are not. So if he relates to us at all, he must come down. Now, will he do such a thing? Well, he did. I want you to take a little journey with me here, right? Go to the New Testament, turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Let's read the first four verses together. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Bless you. John 1, 1. Okay. And what are we looking for? We're to see if God came down. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. Who's the Word? That's right. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So if you look around, you see all of these wonderful looking creatures in your midst. They were all created and made by our true and living God. Okay. Now jump down to verse 10. It says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. In other words, it's like you didn't recognize that this is our God. This is our creator, largely because they didn't want to, even though he revealed himself and showed himself in many, many convincing ways. He says he came to his own, verse 11, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. 
Now, for you who are sitting out there, how many of you does verse 12 apply? How many of you believe in his name? Anybody? All right, well, a few of you are brave enough to be raising your hands. I would hope that all of you are raising your hands. Right. So, since you have received him, he's given you the right to become his children. So now he's going to come down on your level. Okay? He's going to get down on your level so that you can approach him. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Though he, that's Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Can you imagine that? Going from an eternal existence where you never had a beginning, you don't have an end, and then take on the frailty of a human being. I mean, that's what you call a come down, all right? A real come down. When I was younger, um, well, many, many years ago, back when the earth was cooling, um, I lived in Tempe, and I lived in a three-bedroom house, two-bath. You know, it was, it was a pretty nice middle-class house. And then my life fell apart, and I found myself living in inner-city Phoenix in a carport that was uh, walled by plywood. And I was fighting cockroaches that were falling on my face at night. Um, that was a come-down for me. How much more of a come-down would it be for the eternal God of the universe to take on human flesh? Though he was God, he didn't think equality of God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and was born as a human being. Now, in Hebrews 2.17, it says, I'm going to read it to you. You can turn there if you like. It says, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. That's kind of cool. I'm a brother to Jesus. I like that. So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away their, the sins of the people. And since he himself had gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are tested. Okay? You see, if you're going to relate to a child, you've got to get down on their level. If he's going to relate to his children, to us at all, he's coming down to our level. And that's what he did. He did it for our benefit. And are we glad... I am. He came down from his lofty place as God and became a man to relate to us. And now this is how we know that he can enter into your sufferings. A God who is eternal, who has never been a human being, could never understand what it's like to have an addiction. That's, that would be beyond him. He would never understand what it would be like to have loss in his life. Or to have his life come to an end. He wouldn't understand any of that. But a God who would take on human form and go through all of that, then all of a sudden, he gets it. He understands. He can now relate to us. He can sympathize with us. And that's what he wants us to know first and foremost. That when we come to him, 
that he is good and that he is eager to help. Do you get that? He is eager to help. What keeps him from helping you oftentimes is our lack of faith. We're afraid to approach him. We're afraid that he just can't relate to this, that he doesn't really understand, but he does. He does. He is good and he is eager to help, and this is the quinta essentia of his being. So let's go back to Exodus 34, look at verses 6 and 7, and see God's quintessence. The Lord passed before him. Now remember, uh, we were told back in chapter 33 that, that God would put Moses in the cleft of a rock, right? And he told him that I can't show you my total glory it would microwave you right here on the spot. So I'm going to put my hand over you and you can see the, the backside of me. And we explained that as sort of like the tail of the comet, right? Uh, but think of this though, if this is the backside of God, what does the front look like? All right, when you hear what the backside of God is. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We'll stop right there. Moses said, show me your glory. He says, well, my glory is in my character and who I am. So this I will declare to you as I pass by to you. This is my name, my nature. This is who I am. So let's unpack this. Let's start with his name. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh El, the Lord, the Lord God. Does not your Bible have Lord in all capital letters? Right, that's Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, that name testifies to his eternal self-existence and self-sufficiency. When God passed by Moses and said, the Lord, the Lord, he's revealing himself as the God of creation and the God of redemption. The God who made and saves his own creation. That's awesome. <laughs> Yahweh is the existing one. Remember, this is the, the name that, that God revealed himself to Moses by. When Moses says, look, you know, you're telling me to go back to these people of Israel, which, you know, Aaron and all these guys, and tell them that you sent me to lead them out of Israel, and they're going to ask, like, who are you? What's the name of your horse? And, you know, who sent you here? And so God says, okay, well, tell them my name. I am that I am. And, of course, I'm thinking, Popeye? Well, okay. No, the self-existing one, the one who always is. And in the verb form of this name, it means to be or as Chuck Smith says, the becoming one. God always wants to be to you whatever your particular need might be. Would you tattoo that on your heart? God always wants to be to you whatever your particular need might be. I am your peace. I am your strength. I am your help. I am your guide. I am your righteousness. I am your salvation. I am your hope. God becomes to you whatever your greatest need might be. Think about that right now. What's your greatest need, guys? 
Now, of course, it may be manifesting itself in one way, and God might see that, no, what you really need is this, and you and he might argue about that for a while until you realize, oh, wait a minute, he was right. He's always right. He then proceeds to describe himself. In other words, he's saying, I am, and this is how I am. Okay? Verse 6, he says he's merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. I hope that you will highlight that verse in your Bible, that you will underline it, and that you will put these references down, and that you will look them up and meditate upon them. Okay? Psalm 86.15. This is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Verse 6 of Exodus 34. And it's echoed throughout all of Scripture. Psalm 86.15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Okay? Psalm 103.8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Joel chapter 2, verse 13, so rend your heart and not your garments, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Nahum, when's the last time you heard the name of that prophet? Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And then there was Jonah's realization to his, his own discouragement when he wanted God to judge the Ninevites because he was racist. He wanted the Ninevites judged and he, God didn't judge them. He prayed to the Lord and he said in Jonah 4.2, Lord, was, this, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Are you getting the idea here, guys? This is the quintessence of his character. This is his character in its purest form. This is how he wants to relate to you. Through his goodness. Through his mercy. Through his compassion. Now, back in Exodus 34, 7, he goes on. He says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So you put those two verses together, and there are seven attributes. This should be your working definition of God. You guys, some of you grew up with your fathers. And some of your fathers were not good people. And you realized that when you approached your father, it might depend on what mood they were in. And sometimes it didn't matter what mood they're in, you were afraid to approach them anyway. Because quite frankly, and please forgive my, my language, they were jerks. And so, 
knowing that that was the essence of their character, you would be afraid to approach them and talk to them or have any confidence whatsoever that they're going to be helpful or encouraging in any way, shape, or form. I'm sorry about that. I know what it was like because I had one of my own. Praise God, he repented and changed later in his life. But while I was growing up, it wasn't that way. You have a God here. You don't have to be skittish around. You have a God here that you don't have to worry if he's in a bad mood or not. You have a God here who wants and is inviting you to approach him. And if you have messed up, and who of us have not messed up, he forgives your iniquity, your transgression, and your sin. Your transgression, that is the willful things you do that are wrong. You know it's wrong, and you do it anyway, okay? Now again, remember, I'm talking about people who go to other churches. I'm not talking about you guys, right? Your sin is when you do things wrong and you didn't know it was wrong, okay? But once you know it's wrong and then you continue to do it wrong, then it turns into a transgression. The word iniquity is both of those put together, okay? And he forgives all of that. These should be your working definition of who God is. He is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. His mercy is his act of compassion. It's a word of sympathy. He cares about your situation. He's sympathetic with your weaknesses. Remember how David said it in the Psalms? He knows our frame that it's made out of what? Titanium? No, it's made out of dust. It's fragile. It crumbles. He is gracious. That means he gives us undeserved favor. All right? When you mess up, it'd be like your wife. You messed up again, you left the toilet seat up, and she takes you out and buys you an ice cream. Okay? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Not going to happen. Right, okay. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. That's a vivid way to describe his patience, okay? Uh, he, does he ever get mad? Well, of course he gets mad. He, he gets mad. But he doesn't capricious. He doesn't just explode in anger, all right? He's like, like uh, Gil Irwin used to say, he's slow to anger. A lot of patience. He's abounding. That means to have in, I love the definition that I looked up, it says to have in great plenty. To have in great plenty, having many much more, <laughs> all right? Many much more what? Goodness and truth, loving kindness. It's the commitment that God has made to us in his covenant through Jesus Christ. His love is loyal and it's steadfast and he never goes back on a promise and he promises to love, he keeps on loving and his love is boundless. It's love without measure. It's love beyond degree. And he keeps mercy, which is unfailing love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? That was one of the descriptors. Love never, never fails. And then when you do wrong, 
He keeps mercy and he forgives. First John 1 John 1.9, the Christian's bar of soap, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that is a summary, guys, of the character of Jesus Christ. Everything that God was in the Old Testament, Jesus is in the New Testament. Now, a lot of people think, and I'm going to zip here towards the end, that we have two different gods. You have the God of the Old Testament and you have the God of the New Testament. How have you ever thought about that? You know, you're looking at the Old Testament and God is like a grumpy old man. Right? You just never know. He seems to fly off the handle at times and next thing you know, someone's getting destroyed or a whole people group is getting destroyed. So you want to watch out for him. Then along comes Jesus Christ, who's got a different temperament, and he's always calming the Father down, right? Just, no. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. It's Jesus in the New Testament. His nature is of compassion and lovingness and loving kindness. Um, And if you think that Jesus is all just nothing but sweet and kind, you know, see Jesus meek and mild and watch him bless the little child, then you haven't read the book of Revelation. Because in the Revelation, his wrath comes unglued. His wrath, he destroys. Because if you're not going to turn from the goodness that he's extending to you, he'll give you one last chance by pouring out his wrath and then it's done. All right. Um, here's the challenge that I wanted to, to leave with you. And, and would you come on up? If you see God for who he is, then you realize he is not someone whom you need to fear to come to when you have need. Psalm 46, 1. Why don't you turn there? This will be our closing passage. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble, okay? Not a help that's going to come later, a present help. Therefore, we will not fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. And notice what the psalmist says, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried out into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, still God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Let me paraphrase. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There we will not fear. even though the liberals take over the country, even though Antifa and political correctness rules our schools and university and imposes upon our life, 
even though the economy tanks and goes south of south, even though the coronavirus makes a comeback, even though you're going to have to wear a mask the rest of your life. <laughs> God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we have no need to fear. Amen. 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 Let's all stand. I want to ask you, do you know this God? Do you know his son, Jesus Christ? As we study through Exodus, I long to see what Moses saw and hear what he heard. But the important thing is to know God through Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? Are you struggling with suffering? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus is full of compassion. He cares about your situation. Are you weighted down with guilt? Then come to him and receive the forgiveness that he offers and the cleansing that he offers to remove that shame. He will treat you better than you deserve, taking away your sin. Are you filled with doubt and anxiety? Jesus is loving and faithful, and he will keep his promises to the very end because he is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. He will provide, he will guide, he will be your peace. And the best thing of all is that when all is said and done, he will bring us to the other side. So let's just all bow our hearts right now. And we're going to, to close with this and then with the song, but we're going to give you time to respond, okay? And after I pray, if you feel the need to leave, you are welcome to do so. Otherwise, I just ask you to sit and linger in the Lord's presence for just a little bit. I asked if you knew Jesus Christ. Then the second question is, well, would you like to meet him? He's just asking that you understand that you are a sinner in need of a savior. You're the sinner. He's the savior. No matter how good of a life that you've been trying to live, you've been failing miserably. But you're in good company because everybody here has failed miserably because we're all sinners. The Bible says no one is good. No, not one. We cannot become who we are supposed to be without Jesus Christ. The second thing you need to do is recognize that Christ died on the cross for you. The Bible tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And that's good news, that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to take on the form of humanity so he could identify with you. Then the thing is, repent. 
Jesus said, believe and repent. The Bible tells us, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And that word means to change your mind and change your direction. Instead of running from him, now start running towards him. Instead of thinking of him as a fairy tale and fable, think of him as the true and living God. And then finally, just receive him into your life. It's not just believing a creed or going to church. It's having himself take residence into your life and your heart. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. So if you would like to have a relationship with Christ, here's the prayer that you would pray and mean it in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Right now I turn from my sins and open the door of my heart and life. I confess you as my personal Savior and Lord. Thank you for saving me. It's that simple. It just expresses a desire. Natalie is going to minister to us in song. And I would like you just sort of meditate upon what I shared this morning. And if you need prayer, we'll have the elders up here and the elders' wives up here to pray for you. And come forward, be prayed for, and if you want to be introduced to Jesus Christ in a more personal way, let them know that, okay? Would you please? Father, in the name of your Son, we come before you and give you thanks for the truth that is your word. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your long-suffering and goodness towards us. Thank you for the power that you give us to turn from our sin and to restore our lives and to transform us, transforming our character. Thank you for the joy that comes, Lord, for a right relationship in you. Thank you for the peace and the guidance and all the promises that you have made to us in your word that you are faithful to keep. So right now, Lord, as we bow our hearts, let us just contemplate. When we've repented, did we repent fully? If we need you, can we receive you right now? And if I am worried and anxious, can I come to you please and just have you comfort me? I pray that you would bless the people in Jesus' name.